Pai, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Enlightened Conversations. Each week, we invite guests to share their views on the world, work, and their personal lives in an enlightened way. Our hosts have been chosen especially to role model just how we do an enlightened conversation. This episode is produced by Michelle Lightworker and sponsored by the Lightworker Foundation. Hi everyone, it's Michelle Lightworker here and welcome to Enlightened Conversations. I'm in a really happy mood because a lot of synchronicities have happened this morning for me and I feel like, um, you know when you get that feeling that, you know, spirit's here but it's really close and it's like jamming things together and I just have that beautiful feeling today, especially with my guest Sharon Trigoni joining me today. For those of you who don't know Sharon, I want to introduce you to her formally. And then I will go in-depth into why it's such a special, special morning. Answering a soul calling with an absolute belief that the dying and death experience can be improved for the betterment of all concerned, the dying, their loved ones, and the medical professionals. Sharon Trigoni founded Spiritual Palliative Care. Part of her mission is to bring dying and death out of the closet so that they are, again, just an accepted part of our life cycle and not something paralysing us with fear. She is a facilitator of healing, a published author and inspirational public speaker, I can attest to that, a special trainer in the palliative environment and has a Bachelor of Divinity How cool is that? A Bachelor of Divinity. I think I want one of those. Uh, Working on her master's at the moment and a diploma in counselling. She is also a justice of the peace and an ambassador for Death Over Dinner. What a cool name. And president of Dying with Dignity Queensland. President, president of Dying with Dignity Queensland. One of the questions that guides Sharon's work with the dying is what will give you peace, which I love, because we all want peace, not just when we're dying. So welcome, Sharon. Thanks, Dallin. It's great to be here. Cool. And I, as I said, like I'm so excited about all the synchronicities that are happening. I, I, I shared with you just before we came on that I recorded with Jacob Cooper this morning. And the people listening who have just watched the show yesterday, this, we didn't know we were going to air Sharon's episode the day after Jacob's or the fact that they'd had their pre-records on the same day. It's total, total, I wouldn't say it's random. I'd say it's completely amazingly synchronistic from spirit. Isn't it cool? Divinely orchestrated, I think, is probably the term we should use for that one. Absolutely. So for those of you who might have missed Jacob's episode, he was talking about his near-death experience and how he's trying to enlighten the planet through helping people to find how they can come more into themselves and hopefully not have, having had gone through that, but maybe if they have, then, of course, that's helped to be a catalyst and catapulting their enlightenment as well. But I love your work, Sharon. I absolutely adore you. Um, and I'm so glad that, I, that we met and we met last year through Soul TV. And I'm so excited that you are, actually the year before, and I'm so excited that you are really following your passion to be that person that is... is at the forefront of what I, what I call revolutionary pioneering when it comes to how we view death and the dying experience. So thank you. We all need that. We all need that change and that paradigm shift. 
Thanks, honey. I actually kind of think of myself and people like me as reverse pioneers because in many ways we're just going back to how we used to die in our communities, in our space. So, um, yeah, I, I threw around the term reverse pioneers and it sort of seems to be getting a little bit of traction now. Oh, wow. That makes a lot of sense because it's then returning through back to an organic experience that we once just did. Um, yeah. And that, that totally makes sense. It's, it's an interesting, you know, people, I think maybe there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of levels to the work you're doing, isn't there? Because it's like there's the fear of death that, that people actually come up against when they're in the position of being that person that is facing perhaps, you know, a limited lifespan and they, and they know it, um, even though we're on the way there. But, you know, it's one thing to be on the way there and then it's nothing to be faced with that. Okay, look, you know what? Writing's on the wall here, it's, it's the end of the road, and then you, you are faced with that, you know, resolving that hope, resolving that fear of death so that you can be in that peaceful space. But then there's also the, the fear of death around loss and things from the family as well. That also is, is quite, people don't realise, and it brings up a lot of stuff, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Huge amount of stuff. And actually the work that I do with the loved ones is predominantly focused around reducing or avoiding regret as part of what will be their grieving experience. It's like, yeah, we know they're going to have grief, that's unavoidable, but regret's so often there and it doesn't need to be. So we hopefully won't have these, oh, I wish we had done this or oh, we could have done this or we should have done that, working on trying to eliminate those scenarios from what will be their grieving experience. So that's absolutely spot on, honey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to I want to throw in a uh, a little story again that happened. Um, can you turn your sound down just a little bit? I'm hearing some me feedbacking a bit to myself. Thanks, sweetheart. Um, that's heaps better. <laughs> echo, echo, echo. Um, I was coming back from my walk this morning and I bumped into a friend, and she was actually telling me a story about the fact that she said, oh, have you moved? And she said, oh, no, I haven't moved. I said, oh, what happened? She said, well, I got a knock on my door and a phone call from the daughter of the person who lives here saying that he'd left a suicide note and taken himself to Switzerland uh, to be euthanized because he had discovered he had throat cancer, stage four. And, and this happened this morning, Sharon. So let's talk, I mean, God, it's another synchronistic boom. Uh, and I went, wow. So um, she receives a phone call from the daughter who's absolutely um, saying, please don't move out. We really need you to stay. Uh, my father, don't know what, why he's gone. He's gone somewhere. Then she gets a knock on the door by the police. The police saying, is this man here? No, he's not. What's going on? So what had happened was he found that he had stage four cancer throat cancer he'd taken himself off to switzerland he had left a suicide note letting his family know that that's where he had gone to be euthanized um he got to switzerland and the end of the story is is that he's come on back to australia because in switzerland and i don't know you may know how switzerland operates but the message i was getting from my friend was the way switzerland operates is that the whole ending experience for a person going through that process of euthanasia is a family experience and it's a process and you can't just turn up and say okay i'm ready to be euthanized now um you know let's do it they just would not accept that 
that entry point. So, yeah, I just, I, oh, wow, I never heard of anything. I, don't, I didn't even know about the euthanasia laws over in Switzerland or anywhere, really. I haven't delved into it. But I really wanted to share that story with you because I felt like it was quite pivotal and incredible. There's just so many layers to that story. I really wanted to mention it. Yeah, there is. I'm not familiar with all of the ins and outs of Dignitas, but I do know some of the stuff that you do have to have um, not approvals as such, but you have to have um, evidence from your doctors that, yes, you are terminally ill and so forth, and there has to be some supporting material around that um, that you can take over there and that sort of thing. So, as I said, I don't know the complete ins and outs of the process at Dignitas. Um, if that's what the process is. Look, there's two sides to that discussion. I, On one aspect, I love the fact that they want the family to be involved, but on the other side of the coin, it's tough if there's not family support and you've got this person who's suffering intolerably and or will be with their situation. Going to Dignitas is a huge thing, particularly from here. Um, it's not just a quick and jump on a two-hour plane or a two-hour car drive. So it's a really, really big process and you have to have that physical capability to still be able to do it. So there's pros and cons for both of that situation. Um, that's a very, very different scenario to the one that we'd be looking to introduce here if we're successful in introducing legislation. Um, but it's, it's interesting if that is the case that they require the family participation um, I'm going to look into that some more now because that's really interesting in and of itself. I sort of stirred the pot and I was just like, oh, you know, things I'd never thought about, which I love and Spirit brings to my doorstep before I do shows and things like that, which I, yeah, just expands, yeah, expands us, doesn't it? And yeah. the other thing I was thinking, and my friend and I have talked about it, was the fact that his father, I think his father or grandfather had gone through that as well and he didn't want... Um, his family to have to go through it. And there's that whole component around not wanting other people to suffer, but then wanting to take ourselves out of the picture because we don't want people to suffer. And, you know, um, I think it brings up a lot of stuff like, you know, around suicide, um, that, you know, we can take ourselves out because we don't want people to suffer. But then, like you were saying, sometimes there's that regret, like, oh, but I, if only I'd known or, oh, I really wanted to say that to them or, that, you know, it's both sides of the coin. The experience of dying is a very personal one and, and everything, but the, the ripples in the pond around the whole death experience are extraordinary, aren't they? I mean, they, they affected everyone. She even said to me, look, she mm -hmm. wanting to kind of exit out affected the daughter and affected me it affected you know she was saying like it, there was all these ripples he had no idea and yet he was trying to save himself from those yeah. the yeah it's quite ironic the irony of that situation isn't it it is and it's honestly one of the things that frustrates the daylights out of me with this conversation and particularly as it's often portrayed in the media that it's a real simple, okay, I'm terminally ill, I'm going to go have assisted suicide, end of discussion. Number one, people don't actually want to die. Um, they're only looking to take this option if either they're, A, they're already suffering intolerably or B, they want to avoid suffering intolerably. They have some awareness 
of what lays ahead of them and they don't want to subject themselves to that or any of their loved ones. Exactly, yeah. It is not a quick and easy decision on in any way, shape or form. And it's it's often portrayed as such, like, oh, life's a bit too hard, okay, I'm out of here. It's not even close to the reality. And the flippancy was sometimes that sometimes is how this is portrayed. Am I allowed to swear? You go for it, girlfriend. It gives me the shit, quite honestly, because it's really insensitive to the situation that people are in. This is not a quick, easy decision. And it's just the gravity of this topic, the sensitivity that it deserves, um, it often doesn't get. And it's part of, I think, the purpose for me and someone with my focus being brought into this conversation is that the level of the conversation needs to be raised. It needs to be more respectful. It needs to be more mature. And both sides of this discussion have taken it to the extremes and the offensive remarks and attacks and the bullying. We've seen that on both sides and it's it's not appropriate in any context, but especially in a conversation where we are literally talking about people's lives and deaths. Um, so that's one thing I've been really thingy about, very particular about, that this conversation has to be held in a mature, respectful way. Um, and I, I just won't entertain, I won't engage. If someone starts going down that road, whichever side of the discussion they're on, if they're on my side, I'll pull them aside and have a conversation with them saying, no, that's just not okay. And if they're on the other road, I'll just walk away. Um, it needs to have that consideration for what people are experiencing. Um, and, yeah, as you said, the ripples of the pond just extend so much further. The other aspect of this that is a really big driver for it is the peace of mind that it offers just by the option being there. And this is something we've seen out of Oregon. They've had this legislation in place for 20 years without any changes. So that kind of counters the slippery slope argument that's thrown against us fairly frequently to start with that, oh, once you've got one bit of legislation, it'll just be broadened and broadened and broadened and it'll be a free-for-all. Well, Oregon shows very clearly that you can have this legislation in place for a long time without any changes. But the numbers aren't huge out of Oregon. Now, they've got a population of around about 4 million. Here in Queensland, our population is about 4.8 million. So there is some comparisons. In 2015, and the stats aren't out for 2016, just as we're speaking, they will be by the time we go to where, so maybe we can pop that in um, some copy or something to go with it. Um, but in 2015, 215 people applied for assistance to die under their legislation and 132 people actually did. So about a third of the people don't actually take the medication once they're given the approval. So it's there as the just-in-case option. And on a broader scale, that would apply for other members in the community. Is the, I know there's something there if I need it. And I fall into that boat. I don't know if I would want to go down that road of assisted suicide. Yeah. I want the option. Yeah. And that's a big part of this discussion. And that's another one of those ripples that if we have the legislation in place, yet yeah, there's not going to be thousands and thousands of people each year who will receive assistance under this legislation 
but there's the option there. And people live more fully because they don't have to worry about it. I've got someone precious in my world at the moment who is over three years post a pancreatic cancer diagnosis. Now, by all rights, she should have been long gone. She's an absolute living miracle and I love her to bits. She has a plan B. I don't know details of her plan B and I don't want to know details of her plan B. But the peace and comfort that gives her, and she lives more fully. And even her doctors said, you're a miracle worker. You should have been dead ages ago. You've got this positive outlook, which also contributes to her perspective. But she's got that plan B there. So she doesn't have to be worrying, okay, if it gets too much, I'm going to suffer and fearful of that. She's got an option there. And that's a big aspect of this. Again, another one of these ripples that we've spoken about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had the privilege of being um, earlier on last year, my husband's mum passed away at the ripe old age of 92, almost 93, three weeks off 93. Oh, my goodness. I know. And she lived a full life and a beautiful life. And, you know, just to be there by her side and to spend that time with her. And then, you know, she just said, like, she was in palliative care and just um, basically stopped eating a couple of weeks before she, we, we um, they said, look, she's really in a bad way. She's just not um, swallowing any food and things like that now. But she was fully lucid and fully functional. Um, you know, she, she was just like as sharp as a tack, like a ridiculously sharp as a tack. She always had been, you know. And, um, and she said, look, you know, she had stuff that she needed to to work through. She even knew that herself um, leading up to after we saw her, which was the Boxing Day. We flew down after we called her on Christmas Day 2015 and we said, we're there, we're there tomorrow. Because we, we just knew that, that, that the things were just not going to improve. Like, you know, it wasn't a turn, you know, it was it was time. And so we, we spent a few days there and then, um, we got to see her again. We came down again because she was like, um, yeah, just, we, yeah, basically she said, I might call you back down. And we said, we'll be here, you know, that kind of thing, because it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm on my way, but I know you guys are in Queensland. Come on down when I'm, when I'm ready. So she even knew it herself. She passed away, uh, it was on the 3rd of January. So there was a little bit of time there and we'd spent chunks of time with her. So about sort of, three or four days after Boxing Day. And then again, we came down and spent it uh, just before New Year's as well. And it was amazing to have that process where she knew that she, they, they basically said to her, like, let us know if you need to go to sleep. Like, um, there's, there's heavier medication that they give them, which is, you could say it's not euthanasia, but in some aspect, if you're giving someone heavy medication and they're actually going into a sleep, and they're not eating, then it's only a matter of time. So I kind of felt like that was that was respecting her wishes to be able to finish what she needed to finish, have the option for that. But she would say to us, "I'm not ready for the heavy meds yet," you know. And that was that was great. Like we were there for her. And I just want to speak to it that dying with dignity is all about for me is all about really coming to a place of peace, like you say, with yourself, with Creator, with those people around you not feeling guilty for going either, not feeling like you're, you can't go um, and allowing yourself the dignity to choose to be able to um, 
let go of the physical this, this time round when it feels right. And I feel like for me, that's what it, and I, I, I really, I think we had some of our best moments um, and best conversations at that time, actually. Really, really awesome ones. So that's how I Absolutely. Yeah. There's a couple of things I'd just like to speak to from that. Um, the first is the body shuts down gradually and one of the first things to go is that appetite because the body's not doing as much so it doesn't need to do as much. So I know sometimes in this discussion it's often put as people are starved to death. That's not always the situation. There is a process of the body shutting down and sometimes if someone is forced to eat, that can actually make matters worse because the body is having to expend energy digesting and processing food and that sort of thing. So that's not always the case. I know it is sometimes um, that people are starved to death or people choose to starve to death because they don't feel they have any other options. So we, we just needed to cover that off, that there is a natural process that the body does go through and the appetite shutting down is, is one of the signs at the end. Yeah, what I, you were talking about... Not to suck on your ice. She, she was really, like, loving to suck on ice blocks and stuff like that. Yeah. So she was... If she could have eaten, she would have. But, yeah, you're right. It was just like, oh, okay. It's just, uh, you know, that, that old yeah. thing. Yeah. There is a term called palliative sedation. And it is often, not often, it is sometimes referred to as the Clayton's euthanasia, so the euthanasia you have when you're not having euthanasia. Um, they are different drugs. The intent with palliative sedation is purely to ease suffering. It, and in doing so, that can allow the body to do what it needs to. It is very, very different medication to that which is used in voluntary euthanasia, so it is not the same. Um, people may have this, and morphine is often the one most commonly used, people have a little bit of fear that if morphine levels are raised, then it's going to bump them off, and that's not necessarily the case. The nature of morphine is to try and ease that suffering. So it's a different process again. Um, it's certainly not voluntary euthanasia, but it is one of the tools that are available within palliative care. For me, you mentioned what dying with dignity is. That is simply allowing a person to have a good death as defined by them. Because dignity is something that we define for ourselves. Um, for one person, they might not want to end up in adult nappies or that sort of thing. That might be undignified for them. For someone else, that might be a necessary part of how they exist. And they're thankful that they've got that and they don't have to look at other scenarios. And it's like with pain. Sometimes what might be intolerable for one person is bearable for someone else. So for me, we've got to have this as a fairly subjective discussion and it's the nature of my work on both sides of this discussion so death is as defined what's a good death by you joe bloggs or james citizen I, that might I, be I, yeah go on i agree i was going to ask you a hypothetical question because because um it's a little bit humorous but it kind of humorous, but, is it all right okay so if your husband said to you, honey, when I know that I'm going to go, I just want you to drop me off in the bush somewhere. I just want to wander off and, you know, and that's how I want to go. What would you say? Like, would you be like, yeah, cool, that's your way to go. Sure, I'll support you. Or would you go, no, I'm going to drop you off somewhere and leave you wandering off in the bush? 
Well, I don't think yeah, cool would be the um, first answer. Um, <laughs> I'm probably going with him because when he goes, I go kind of thing. <laughs> um, it, look, it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, I would hope that I would be able to honour his wishes. Obviously, until we get to that point in time, none of us know. But I'd like to think that we've got ourselves sorted enough and I kind of think we are because that's the kind of space that he and I live in anyway, um, that I would be able to honour those wishes. Um, and in some Indigenous cultures, that's what happens anyway. Um, they do just go for a long walk um, and that's seen as perfectly okay. So it, there's the whole cultural thing that comes into play with this as well, which is... It's really interesting. So there's so many different facets and levels to this. There's the practical stuff, the legal stuff, there's the emotional, the spiritual, the mental, the physical. It's just it's huge. Um, you, you know, you raise a good point there, the legal stuff. I asked that hypothetically for you because my, my husband said that to me, you know, when I know it's my time to go, I'll just wander off somewhere. And uh, I said, no, you're not. I think I feel a bit selfish now. <laughs> you're not going to bloody drop you off somewhere and go. I'll be worried about you, honey. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I can understand what you're saying there. And God knows, like, who, you know, we're all, you know, we've got our past lives and things like that that kick in. And that may well be something that he feels he needs to do at the right time. But, yeah, I guess the legal thing kicked in for me as well. Like, well, how do they know I didn't? kind of top you off or something what if you know and and you know that did kick in for me um because I, I certainly wouldn't want anybody uh thinking that um and so yes um it is a little bit of a minefield isn't it the whole the whole see it's, it's, it's not a process suicide it? itself is not illegal but assisted suicide is and we've already seen cases where people have taken matters into their own hand and then loved ones have been subject to police investigation. There's actually a doctor in WA who's under police investigation for assisting someone to die. I believe there's a nurse in rural outback Queensland. Um, the same, she assisted someone to die and she's subject to the police investigation. So these things do happen. Um, that's why with my friend, I don't want to know details of what she's planning or anything like that. Um, and she has to do that as a protection for us. But it also means that when the time comes, she can't have loved ones around her. And she's got to be physically capable of still being able to do it herself and hoping like hell that she doesn't end up worse off than what she is. So that's a lot of the aspects of this. Um, there's also the, the past life thing and soul journey of what we're meant to do and not to and how that all plays out in this life. Um, so that's why for me it has to be respecting and honouring someone's choice because I'm not privy to their life journey and what they're here to learn, to experience, to do, to not do. Um, if I'm impacted by it, that's, that's my stuff to deal with. Um, it's as much as possible. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's it's not easy in any way, shape or form. Um, sharing the end journey with my mum was just 
one of the hardest things I've ever done, but one of the most beautiful and greatest gifts in my life. And like you said, the conversations that we had in that time, and that's something I get with my work, the dying don't have any time for BS. Exactly. So the conversations that you have with them, there's none of this light, airy, fairy stuff. Well, there might be occasionally if you want to lighten the mood, but most of the time the conversations are just so honest and raw, sometimes very vulnerable. Um, they're amazing. I love that. I love the honesty that comes with that awareness. Yeah, I um, I remember Frida's last words to me and you know, she she said, you keep doing the work you're doing because you're helping a lot of people. And, and she said um, to my husband, she said, you just, re you just remember the little people, remember the little people, you know, because, um, you know, she was all about um, making sure everybody counted and mattered and, you know, um, it's just so powerful. And you can't describe that, uh, how, that how powerful that process impacts your life when somebody's, like, it's like their dying wishes are for you to, you know, continue on doing the work. I mean, that's just, there's something incredible about that. And then not only that, because for me, I feel like when Frida died, um, she was join, joining her husband who passed away and they'd been married for over 60, I think it was 68 years or something, like a long time, I know. He died like three years earlier in that. Um, and... You know, I always felt close to Charlie and I felt like Charlie was around and and, and uh, we were bringing Charlie through to her uh, when she was, you know, so that she, you know, felt like he's right there because I could see him and everything like that. And, um, and now I've got the privilege of um, feeling like they're both around me a lot and encouraging what I'm doing. And, you know, I know that they're powerful endings, but I also feel like they're, powerful beginnings in forging a relationship with people that, you know, can support what you're doing and your purpose. And, and they're, they're like guardian angels. They feel like, you know, guardian angels helping. So it's pretty powerful to have that. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say, take a breath, honey. Take a breath. <laughs> um, absolutely. My gang on the other side absolutely love messing with my mind. They take great delight in doing it and, but at the same time, I know that absolutely part of this journey, both the experiences that were shared in this realm and what they're doing on the other side, um, I know it's all part of it. There's, there's, we started with synchronicities. There's times, and I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, but there's absolutely synchronicities and stuff that's happened in my life. Ago. There's no way on this earth I've made this happen all on my own. There has absolutely been input from the other side to orchestrate meetings or connections or opportunities. Um, without a doubt, they're playing a part in this and they're cheering me along in every way that they can and that's pretty damn cool. Yeah, yeah, it is awesome. I, um, I, I, one of the reasons that I wanted to connect with you on the show too was um, over Christmas time um, I went down and visited my dad and he's... Um, He's actually uh, really loved reading the Conversations with God series with by Neil Donald Walsh. And um, I never got round to reading the three books in the series. Um, but I always, when I had conversations with people about what he'd written, I'm like, oh, yeah, we, we're totally resonating on the same frequency. Um, but Dad handed me a book. He said, this is the fourth one. Now, it's called, uh, I think it's called Home, Home with God. 
thank you. <laughs> I should have prepared myself better for that, but um, Home with God and I thought, why am I, I haven't read a book in a while because I don't, I don't read, read books. For, I, I like to read, but because I'm reading a lot of articles that are put in Lightworker Advocate magazine or I'm, I'm always reading something, it feels like a book is a luxury almost. And I, when I was down there, I had the luxury of, of a few days of just being time. And so I ended up reading this book, Home with God, fourth book uh, that flowed on from Conversations with God series. And he talks about these nine uh, beliefs, I think they're called, of dying. And, and it was incredible, blew my mind. And I, I thought of you and I, I just thought, oh, my God, this is so cool. I, I, I'd love to tell Sharon about this. Like, it was one of those things I've got to tell Sharon, you know. Um, and I just wanted to say I, I really resonated with the concepts in the book around um, how understanding what death really is affects our, our living, you know, how really understanding that it is simply a transitioning into another frequency, that, that there's no, really no such thing as death. Death itself is really an illusion because our spirit continues on. The process of that transitioning is extraordinarily important. And then leading up to the transition, our living experience is, is affected by our view of death itself and the, the 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 experience of someone dying and being part of that helps us to understand more about living than so many things that we experience in life and hence i think that's why dying or the end of physical form exists so that we can learn to live. What, what do you feel about that, Sharon? And that's Dean. Um, right now, I just want to give you a hallelujah, amen, sing into the choir. Um, absolutely. It's the challenge in all of this is our humanness. On a soul level, on a spiritual level, we know all of this instinctively. That's what Jacob said. Oh, really? <laughs> Yep. Wow. Okay. That's a bit <laughs> So for those of you who haven't heard, seen yesterday's conversation, <laughs> find that moment. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. That's too funny. Um, it's this human experience. And while... Yes, I can still communicate with my gang and you communicate with yours. It's not the same as sitting down and having a couple with them. And that's where it comes in. Grief is, and this might throw up some interesting conversations and prompts, grief is all about us. Totally is. And how much we're missing someone else. It's actually not really about them. And I'm really conscious sometimes where I'll have this discussion with people because it can sometimes start a whole wave of anger and all that kind of thing. But I think this is a space in which we can have that type of conversation. I have a meditation it's, that I want to share with you about how I mirror what you just said. Okay, cool. So, and certainly 
I don't fear death. I'm nowhere near ready to go. But because of what I've seen, both in this realm from the experiences we've had with people and, as I said, the glimpses that I've had of the other side of the veil, I don't fear it. not ready to go there yet, but I don't fear it. And those of us that work with the dying do have that heightened sense of awareness of the preciousness of life. Yes. And how life is to be lived. And you start to get a glimpse of that when you lose precious loved ones in your world. Um, you get this, you start to have awareness. Even if you're not hugely, even if you're not living massively consciously, you feel that pain and it can do, you start to get that awareness of just how short life really is in terms of the broader stuff of the universe and everything else. It's, it's a blip literally on the radar. Um, but life is very, very fleeting, but it's also very, very precious and it's about living more fully and that's the other gift from this work. Like, I mean, there's, it's a word that's thrown around a lot and it gives me the irk some ways, but I, it is an honour to do this work. I, I honestly feel that I get more than I give. I live vicariously through it. You can't sit and hold unconditional space for someone else and surround them in pure and unconditional love without getting some of it for yourself. So there's that kind of very cool aspect for me, not why I do it, um, but you can't do this work and not benefit. But it is very much about living more consciously, living more fully, making every day count as much as possible because it could be gone in a heartbeat. Um, and telling the people that are important in your life that you love them it's spending time with those people it's not about the having things it's about the doing things and about the being things and the precious people in your world and that's the biggest gift from this work having that awareness and getting to live that example to show other people in the world this is this is what it's all about folks this is where the rubber hits the road um we are not here for a long time. Make the most of it and just really treasure what it's all about. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's a Hail Mary. We've got a revival going here. Yeah, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah, no, because um, I, um, I can relate to that because I said to my hubby, like, um, sometimes when I'm waking up in the morning, I miss, I miss some information that needs to come through. So if you, if you need to go for a surf, and there hasn't been surf lately, so he's gone scurrying out for a surf this morning because it's, like, amazing out there today. Um, I say, you go. Don't worry about waking me up because, you know, I'll need to... I want to come into this, you know, um, earthly existence the way I need to come into it. And... Uh, but, yeah, that happened today. And it hadn't happened for a while and I missed him. And, I, you know, he came back after his surf and I, I came back after my walk and we met up and it was like, oh, you know? It's like you have, I, I, I'm just used to that, what you just said, which is really be waking up and being really grateful to have that amazing person next to your side and, and really allowing myself to feel that gratitude day and so yeah you miss them when they're not physically there i mean they're still here right but they're not there right so like the cup of thing the meditation that i that was channeled through 
to me, it was actually during the process of me writing my second book, which was called The Light-Filled Relationship. And I discussed uh, mediumship in that particular uh, level of Lightworker Practitioner training as a way of, like, we're not here to communicate ideas from a person who's crossed over to someone else. We're here to resolve finished business. Um, and to help them to come to terms with their grief, both of them, because there may be both on both sides. So that's how I look at mediumship, not as some game of communicado. It's no, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a purpose here. Um, it's not about proving the other side. It's simply not about that at all for me. That, that for me feels uh, uh, shallow, actually. Um, so this meditation that I wrote was... Um, all about the person who felt that they had the loss. So, for instance, you know, I, a person has lost their mum or their dad or what have you. So they then go into the meditation, they see that person in front of them that has passed and they then have a conversation, say what needs to be said, um, feel, feel into if, if there's anything unfinished and all that and have that time to do that. And then the person, they see the person ascending up, but then they see the quality of what that person signified to them on an energetic level and they feel it and they let it in. So they return to wholeness. So they're not feeling that there's a gap in their soul, which is often how people feel when someone has passed. They feel like something's been taken from them. And it's about an opportunity of reclaiming that back, hey. Like, actually, you know what? We're one in unity and this is the actual vibrational frequency that perhaps their loss or their passing has triggered in me to own more of. And so for their energy to live on, I need to start to, I need to, start to embody it. Yeah? And yeah, so absolutely. it's very powerful because I've had people come to a place of resolution around something like that and then, then, then they've just, but how could that be? resolve so quickly and it's because they've they've owned what the significance was about, about that person and what they really meant energetically not just on a head level which we can do but on a really on an energetic feeling level it's very powerful yeah, yeah. It, look it is um i'm also really conscious that we can't deny the human experience as well um i still desperately miss my loved ones we're in this we're nine years since my sister passed um three and a half since mum um 17 since dad um six since my aunt just to name four um desperately miss their physical presence yeah i have the connection with them um you've probably seen the post in the rounds on facebook so the death is nothing at all I'm just in another room and that sort of thing. And I appreciate the sentiment of that in that, yes, soulfully, spiritually, these people, these beings, these loved ones are still here. But I think it does a disservice in saying that death is nothing at all because death is. We, there is this human experience that we're having and that is part of that human experience. So for me it's about balancing those things and that's why the regret aspect with the loved ones is such a powerful thing because that just absolutely intemplifies, there's a new word, 
amplifies and intensifies grief, it makes it so much worse and it just doesn't need to be there. But that's very much a part of our human experience. So it's, it's balancing this experience so that it's improved, so that there's still going to be grief. There can be something in a heartbeat and it's the little stuff now that I find that triggers me. It'll be a smell or a music or something like that. The big stuff, sort of the dates you're sealed for, you're prepared for. But it's the little stuff that'll bring you undone in a heartbeat. And those are made worse if we've got regret as part of that. So there's still those longings, but I know they're still there and I know I'm going to get to play with them again when I'm on the other side in a whole different realm and a different space. But it's balancing those two for me. It's not just the woo-woo and it's not just this earthly realm. We are a combination of this experience and it's balancing we've those two up, out. We've come up with a new saying, it's not just the woo-woo and not, and not just the boo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> we, we might have to work on that. We'll see how we go. But, yeah, it's, it's all of that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. It's, it's, it's so okay to cry and to, to, and, and, and to honour our, our, our humanity and our emotional reality. Absolutely. Um, for sure. Probably, yeah. It's, it's, You've it's probably okay. seen it as well. Yeah. People apologising for crying in exactly. the first few days after they've lost someone. And I'm just going, Yeah. what the hell are you doing? Why are you apologising for crying? You've just lost someone precious in your world. If you need to cry, then that's what you bloody well do. You don't need to apologise for it. It's just like... What kind of crazy world have we created where someone feels that that's not okay for them to cry when they're grieving, and particularly in that raw period? It's like, wowzers, that's a bit bizarre. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on a bit of a mission on that one. That one puts me on a soapbox real quick. I like it. No, I, I really do. I mean, I try to cry at the top of a hat. Like, I'm just, uh, yeah, uh, you know in awe of um, Frida and, and Charlie and um, absolutely love what they represented and there's them power in that, them, their life, but there's also power in their, the way they chose to exit the planet as well. And mm. I feel that, you know, it's almost like not honouring them not to have a cry or not to feel something around, you know, it's it's tears for me are, are about what well, did they mean anything to you? They still mean something to me. I'm going to cry just because they mean something to me now. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and it's okay to miss people that the the real like you know human playful or um, sensory experiences like you're talking about the smells and it's like oh my god of course you know you want to you want to feel their smell their jumper or their perfumes or their mm. cups of tea or whatever they're doing and that reminds you of them. It's endearing and it's part of our soul and it's, it's okay. It's so okay. I mean, I, you're talking to someone who my daughter moved out of home and she didn't want this tank top. That's cute. This little tank top. She was going to throw away. And I was really like that tank top. So I kept it. And every time I wear it, I want to, every time I want to feel close to my daughter, I wear the tank top. I mean, that's, she's not even passed. I mean, she's just moved out of home. So, I mean, if we can't allow ourselves the, luxury of finding ways to honor them uh, and feel close to them i think that's a little bit sad i think that's a lot sad actually i, I feel yeah. like that it's 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 more than okay to take the time yeah. to do that 
It is. It's about honouring in ways that are appropriate for the person and the relationship and that sort of thing. My my sister was massively big into glitter. She wasn't a girly girl, but she had a real thing for glitter. And she actually worked in the funeral industry. So a couple of her best friends um, took care of her after she died. And her coffin was half filled with glitter. Wow. It was, she, it was like she was lying on this bed of glitter. And it was fabulous. And it's something really little and in the scheme of things really insignificant, apart from the glitter industry that made an absolute motz of that week <laughs> because I can't imagine how much glitter they had to buy. But it was just, yeah, that's really right. Now, whether that was an instruction left by my sister entirely possible she had everything planned to the nth degree so it wouldn't surprise me or whether it was just something these beautiful friends chose to do but that just honored the essence of who she was in the most appropriate way and then after she was cremated we threw some more glitter in with her ashes um so that she got sprinkled off with some glitter as well so it's the little things like that little things never are no i think little things are little they never, ever are. The little things are the really important, powerful things. And it's yeah. those little ways of honouring that carry the most significance. And it's, that's what it's all about. It's honouring this person, their presence in your life, what they've given to you, what you've given to them, what you've shared collectively, and honouring that in every way, shape and form, both while they're still here now and once they've crossed to the realm. You're so awesome, Sharon. I love you. I want to kiss your feet. <laughs> Just saying. Can you take me off the pedestal, please? Because it's hurting me bum. <laughs> love, love you more for that. Hey, tell everybody what you're up to this year. If they can, how they can find you and all that jazz. Because I'm sure people are going to want to seek out what you what you're up to. I know I will be following it. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Okay, so. Yep, I am president of Dying with Dignity Queensland. So we are an organisation that is working towards creating legislation around the topic of voluntary euthanasia. So our website for that one is dwdq.org.au and you can join as a member on the site. We hold meetings around the place. There's newsletters and that sort of thing. There's also our Facebook page, which is Dying with Dignity QULD. So there's that one. Me personally in my business um, is spiritualpalliativecare.com and it's a crappy word to spell. Um, and this year is a big focus on advanced care planning. So I'm doing workshops around the state and we're looking at both the practical and legal. So creating advanced health care, advanced health directives and putting enduring powers of attorney in place so that the right person is legally authorised to speak for us when we're unable to. So that's one part of the workshop. The other part is looking at the personal and the intimate. So we'll have a play with creating our own epitaph and we'll look at some funny ones. There's some classics out there. Spike Milligan was classically known for putting on his, see, I told you I was sick, um, stuff like that. So there will be some laughs because you can have some laughs around this topic. So we'll have some fun with creating that. Um, we'll look at what creates a good death and get you thinking about that process. So capturing the non-medical stuff. So we look at the personal and the intimate on that. So there's workshops running around that. I'm also doing training of getting people how to be in a Mechi Mortis 
and an Amici Mortis is a friend of the dying. Okay. So that's training people how to be present with someone who's dying. Now, whether that's in a professional capacity as a medical person, whether that's as a volunteer in an aged care setting or something like that, or whether you've got someone in your world who is going to be on that end journey in the not too distant future. I actually had that with someone last year that I worked with one-on-one. -on -one. We went through how to be in a meeting list and later that year her husband was diagnosed with very aggressive cancer and the testimonial that she gave me, she said the impact that working together, it gave her the confidence to speak to medical personnel on his behalf, to his family. She was able to support his family through that process. Um, the power of this work is mind-blowing. And of course, there's the one-to-one -one service where I still serve people who are on their end journey and their loved ones. So there's all of that work as well. So no time for sitting around twiddling my thumbs. Um, luckily, I'm someone who doesn't like being bored, so this kind of works. Um, oh, and death over dinner. I can't forget that one too, sorry. Um, I'm an ambassador for that one. That's a project designed to get people gathering over a meal, having a beer, having a wine, having some food, and again, just talking about like what we had this morning in a really non-confrontational way, just exploring this topic of dying and death because we've got really, really good at avoiding it. So Death Over Dinner has, the website is deathoverdinner.org.au and it's just encouraging people, whether a workplace or a social situation, to have these conversations just to start bringing them back into the equation. And there's a whole lot of resources on that side to help people if they want to look at doing that themselves. So just a yeah. little bit happening this year. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, you, you start talking about this topic and it's just, it's so enlightening. And yeah. so like, I mean, if people start to communicate about it more openly and there are these kind of forums for it, it really helps us to work through a lot of stuff and get clear on where we sit with it all. And because we're all, you know, we're all on the way there. So if we don't have a say, then that will karmically, I mean, that will then like affect our, our time as well. I think, you know, we're creating our reality. We're writing, we're writing the script of our, our life. And the more we plug into these kind of services and support them and validate them, the more we're creating a reality, a better world for us, not only us, but also for the people that we love as well. So I'm gonna recommend guys that you plug into what Sharon's doing because it's amazing work. Um, even though it's not seen as pioneering, the regressive was a regressive pioneering. Reverse pioneering. Reverse. I like it, reverse pioneering, but it's still amazing. And it's really standing loud and proud about the fact that this is a part of our life, that dying is a part of our life and there's no denying it. It is, it is eventuality. We all have an expiration date. So let's get powerfully positive around creating that reality for ourselves and how we would like to um, see our final hours and also give our loved ones the opportunity to have that um, the way they would like to in their dignified manner as well. So I really appreciate you joining us, Sharon. I, I've really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you so much. I really yeah. have so much out of it, ridiculous bucket loads. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I 
I'm one of these weirdos, so I can't get enough of talking about this stuff. I'll go to a conference with other deathies and it's like, oh, I can talk about dying and death and people are going to look at me weirdly. So that's really cool. So thank you for this opportunity. It's a space, as you can see, I'm pretty passionate about. We can do it better for everybody involved and that's the aim of the game. So thank you for the opportunity to speak a bit more of that. It's very much appreciated. You're welcome. Lots of love, beautiful. Love you. Thanks, darling.